So start of a new year, uh, start of a new series, this one entitled Love 15, apologies the unseasonal tennis reference. Uh, we are uh, going to be uh, thinking together, not just about 2015, but also about John chapter 15, one of the richest passages uh, in Scripture, often described as Christ's great farewell discourse, Jesus' famous last words to his disciples. And we're going to be thinking uh, about uh, all that, that that chapter says about love, and uh, we're going to be thinking together uh, about uh, how we can grow in love for God, love for one another, and loving life in 2015. So love 15. And uh, in this chapter, Jesus promises us many wonderful things, fruitful lives, answered prayers, deep friendships, and joy. And so we are going to be, as we walk through the chapter together, looking at five particular themes, ways in which God wants to practically bless each one of us in 2015. We're going to think together about success, about breakthrough, about joy, about friendship, and about purpose. So that's going to take us through to about uh, the middle of February. And then on Ash Wednesday, uh, we're going to launch our Lent series. We're going to gather in uh, this theater uh, on, a, on Ash Wednesday to watch a film together. And that film is going to be the narrative for our Lent journey towards Easter this year. It is a film called The Way, starring Martin Sheen. If you've seen it before, you won't mind seeing it again. If you haven't, you're going to like it. And uh, we're going to use that in our collectives. We're going to use that on Sundays to prepare us for Easter. And uh, so, sort of scattered through the term, we're going to have occasional uh, testimonies. Uh, next Sunday, in fact, we've got Naomi Trenia coming to share with us her extraordinary story. Uh, Northern Irish lass, brilliant communicator. Uh, she grew up uh, in, in a cult and has had to wrestle with um, working out, does she believe in God? And coming to terms with grace and his love. She's a regular speaker at HTB's Alpha Course and always just goes down an absolute storm. So I'm thrilled she's coming to speak at both of our services next Sunday and it'll be a really great one to invite your friends, uh, to, to uh, especially if they might be interested in uh, doing Alpha, which, as you've heard, starts on the 3rd of February. So, anyway, launching this Love 15 series, going through John chapter 15. Let's start with the first two verses of John chapter 15 today. John 15, 1 and 2. This is Jesus uh, speaking. And he says to his disciples, and he says to us, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This passage is about roots and shoots and fruits, and uh, we're just going to think about those three together. First of all, it's about roots. It's about planting. 
Jesus identifies himself as the true vine, the one in whom we are to be rooted if we are to be fruitful. This is really powerful symbolism for the people listening to Jesus. They knew exactly what he meant because in the Old Testament, possibly the most frequent analogy for Israel was a vine. And we know not just from the Old Testament, but in 60 AD, there were coins minted in Israel because uh, we've, <coughs> not we personally, but the human race has discovered some. And uh, sadly, it wasn't me. And, and these Israeli coins from 60 AD, so just, you know, a few years after the death of Jesus, had grapes on them. It was the symbol of the nation. And <coughs> just 19 uh, BC, King Herod had rebuilt the temple. So when Jesus was born, the paint was still kind of drying on, this, on the temple. And uh, in rebuilding the temple, uh, he, this extraordinary building, you see there the big sort of box at the back, and there's this door in. Now that is the holy place, and, and only the priests could go in there. And in the Holy of Holies within it, only one priest could go once a year. And if you got chosen to go, it's the only time in your life you want to get in. And you know it was so holy, you had to have a rope around your ankle in case you got slain in there. And they'd pull out the corpse. And, and so that's inside there. And around the door, you can't see on this picture... Uh, particularly if you're listening on the podcast, <laughs> although you can use Google perhaps. But uh, um, around that door of the porch into the holy place, there was a massive golden vine with bunches of grapes the size of a man. And, and wealthy uh, Israelites would give money to maybe put a grape up there. Or if they were unbelievably wealthy, a whole bunch of grapes up there. So the Jewish people knew, not just from their own scriptures, but from the temple, that the way into the Holy of Holies was through the vine. And Jesus has the audacity to stand there and say, I am the true vine. I am the new Israel. I am the way into the Holy of Holies. You understand? And, and, and it's almost blasphemous. We just think, oh, it's a nice little analogy, a Sunday school. You know, I'm, I'm like a grape. Call me a grape if you... No, this, this is an extraordinary statement that Jesus makes. And he says, one of the things that's going to make me the true vine is I'm going to be fruitful. Why? Because the people of Israel, this vine, have been consistently unfruitful. They have been fruitful materially. Look at that building. They've got Jerusalem. They've got the temple. They've got King David and Solomon. And they've got the land. They've got an empire. They have been fruitful materially, but God has said through the prophets down the ages, that wasn't the kind of fruit I was requiring of you. That was part of the picture, but I wanted you to be a blessing to the nations. I wanted you to bear fruit in every tribe and every tongue that the Gentiles might know that I am not just the God of the Jewish people, but the God of all the earth. And so Jesus says, you're in trouble. If you ain't bearing that kind of fruit, you're going to get chopped off and thrown in the fire. And he says, I'm the true vine because I'm going to drop grapes all over the earth. And here we are 2,000 years later, <laughs> a long way from that temple which got knocked down not long after. 
And Jesus, the vine, the true vine, keeps bearing fruit. And so as we prepare to drink the wine of the vine in communion, let us recommit ourselves this year to be deeply rooted in Christ and in Christian community. Obviously, we don't know exactly what 2015 is going to bring to each one of us, what stories we will be telling this time next year. We do know for sure that for some of us there's going to be great joy in 2015. Uh, Maybe new romances, promotion, marriages, Pete and Andrea, uh, Ben and Kate, doubtless all sorts of others, equally loved by Jesus. Entirely forgotten by me at the moment. There's going to be new babies born this year, Renu, wherever you are, and others. I mean, that baby ain't staying inside for much longer, is it? (laughs) I hope not, she says. New babies going to be born, new jobs, Claire, wherever you are, and others. But the coming year for some of us is also going to bring great trials, Unknown trials, perhaps, financial pressures, illness, bereavement, exams. What we know for sure, in spite of the chaos and all these variables of life, is that if we are rooted in the true vine, in Jesus, we will be okay and we will bear fruit in season and out of season. As we just sang, the power of death has been defeated. How do we root ourselves in Jesus? Well, let's be really practical. It might mean that at the start of this new year, you think about rebooting your devotional life. Develop a new holy habit. John Maxwell says, you will never change your life until you change something you do daily. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. It might be deciding to listen to good teaching or worship on the commute, on the train. It might be deciding to delete all ability to play Candy Crush Saga. It might be prioritizing the 24-7 prayer this term in your diary. It might be inviting someone to speak into your life. By the way, that's not just a nice little phrase. Actually, genuinely looking someone in the eyes, going out for coffee or a beer or whatever, and saying, would you challenge me? These are my areas of struggle. Would you encourage me? Would you speak into my life? It might mean using the Bible in one year app. Starting saying grace before meals as a family. Listening to uh, great teaching, booking a retreat, joining a collective, volunteering on a team. So let's root ourselves in Jesus and in his community this term. So it's about roots, but it's also about shoots. Pruning. Jesus is the true vine. He says, the Father is a gardener, 
pruning us. We are the branches on his vine. I remember once um, I was on a, a, a trip in South Africa and I was flying into Cape Town. I had pulled out my itinerary and it said that I had a series of meetings at a particular vineyard. And I assumed that it was a vineyard church, as in a John Wimber derivative style church. And I could imagine the blue carpets and the, you know, what it would be like. And I can't tell you how thrilled I was to discover it wasn't a vineyard, it was a vineyard. <laughs> it was a proper vineyard, La Motte in Franschuk. And in fact, it's not just any old vineyard. La Motte is one of the great vineyards. When you 2 played Cape Town, they said, take us to the best vineyard. Bono and the Edge were taken to La Motte. And um, it's the most beautiful place. You can buy the wine in local supermarkets. It has perfect soil. It has a temperate climate. It has pedigree vines. It has been skillfully tended for many years. In fact, vines, as you may know, are so virulent that you have to plant them 12 foot apart because otherwise they're just, the shoots are just going to go everywhere. And as well as uh, that, there is an increasing science of winemaking, of viticulture and vinification. And uh, these days, uh, top vineyards like La Motte even monitor their vineyards by satellite and use infrared scanning of uh, each vine. And then, of course, there's the pruning, and the pruning, <clears throat> going right back to the time of Jesus, <clears throat> happens twice a year. And in Israel, it was interesting, December and January was the winter prune. Maybe you're here at the start of a new year and you're involved in the winter prune. The winter prune uh, was when you cut off the dead wood, stuff that was just growing but wasn't bearing fruit. And uh, uh, vine wood is hopeless. You can't do anything with it. In fact, you weren't allowed to even use it in the temple. There was actually a little rule about not using wood from the vine. It, just, it was good for nothing but to be burnt. And then the spring uh, uh, um, prune was not cutting off the dead wood, but all these crazy shoots that started to spring out in every direction because they knew that if you allow all of that, the thing will just grow massive, but it will put all its energy into expanding and it won't produce grapes or good quality grapes. And so the father is not just a gardener, that was the writers of the NIV who tried to remove any references to alcohol they possibly can from the Bible. He wasn't a gardener. He was a wine. Jesus is saying, God the Father is a winemaker. He, he is a, he's a vineyard tender. And he is pruning us. He is examining us carefully. And he will amputate anything that is fruitless in our lives. As we review 2014, I don't suppose um, many of us did nothing. We look back and realize there was a lot of activity in our lives, lots of things we did, but how much of it was fruitful? And, and not just fruitful materially, but fruitful spiritually, because the Father is interested in helping you to grow fruitful and not just frenetic. 
He amputates anything that is fruitless. And he prunes anything that is fruitful so that it will become even more fruitful. We tend to think if something's going well in our lives, then God's going to leave it alone. Those are the, actually, those are the things he's going to particularly attend to. He teaches us in our failures, but he prunes us in our successes. Some of the trials and tribulations in our lives that we're asking God to take away are actually him pruning us. And of course, pruning can be painful. God allows difficulties and even sometimes loss in order to promote growth. I remember um, just after Ceausescu was um, removed from power in Romania, there were enormous needs that we suddenly became aware of in the West, in Romania. And uh, I was about 18 years old, and I gathered some friends, and we filled two seven-and-a-half-ton trucks with stuff to take to Romania. And um, there was a particular Baptist church that had sent us a shopping list, and so it was all sorts of things, nappies, was an electric wheelchair, there was a security device uh, for a, a um, compound, um, a lot of food, and so on. And so we jumped in these two seven-and-a-half-ton trucks just down the road from here to drive to Romania. It's a long way. Those autobahns go on forever. And I still remember driving down to Dover. And you know how you're going through your mental checklist. Have I got my toothbrush? Have I got my passport? And all of that. And I suddenly realized the one thing that we'd forgotten was I hadn't brought any music at all. And this was before iPods. And so it was, in fact, all we had was a cassette player. And um, the only person in our, our group who'd remember to bring any music was a scaffolder called Mark Easton, um, who had brought one tape with him, and that tape was Shaking Stevens. Um, I don't know if you remember Shaking Stevens. He is a second, possibly third-rate Elvis impersonator in the wrong generation, whose big hits were Dreaming of Blue Christmas... It'll be a blue Christmas. And what's that happening behind the green door? Hands up if you remember all this. Oh, my goodness. It's like revival here. Uh, and, uh, and so this is our one tape. And I said to him, Mark, under no circumstances are we playing Shaking Stevens. We're on a mission from God. We don't want to defile the thing. He goes, all right, and suit yourself. Well, by, by halfway through Germany, we, I was so desperate, shaky, went on. And, and we rocked and rolled across the continent. I can't tell you how many times we listened. I was like, would someone please just tell me what's behind that green door, please? And, and, and over and over again. And I think Mark has just the saintly ability never to get tired of some things, but I was getting so sick of shaking Stevens. And we finally reached the Romanian border. One of the things we'd all been discussing at length was, because uh, there was a black market, was it okay to bribe guards, or did you have to, you know, all of that stuff. And so anyway, we got to the border, and I was sitting behind the steering wheel. The others all needed to go to the loo, so they all went into the loo. And it was this long, 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 long queue to get into Romania. I mean, I don't know, half a mile or something. It's a long queue. And uh, I'm sitting there. They're all in the loo. And, and this um, Romanian soldier with a gun over his shoulder came up, knocked on the window. I wound down the window, 
and he and um, uh, he 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 said he pointed at my stereo and he said um, disco music. And I began to realize, I think he wants a bribe. And gloriously, I think the bribe he's requiring is <laughs> disco music. And what I have, I give him. And all discussions of the morality, I just, you know, this was probably the moment in my life that defines the phrase win-win. <laughs> so I pulled out the cassette and I said, um, you like? He looked at, he, he, he never, they'd never heard of Shaking Stevens. And he said, hmm. And he shoved it in his pocket. He stepped back and he said, come, come. I pulled out from this queue. When all the others came out of the toilet, I was in a different country waiting for them. <laughs> they were so impressed. They got in the car, we drove off into Romania. And I tell you, we were about 30 miles into Romania before Mark said, hang on a minute. Where's Shaky? <laughs> I said, Shaky is the one who got us into Romania, Mark. God sometimes sacrifices the good to accelerate the best. Sometimes we have to do less to do more. Sometimes we have to slow down to speed up. Isn't it easy to confuse busyness with fruitfulness, especially somewhere like Guildford, with a tiger mother in a Chelsea tractor at every school gate and a father working a 60-hour week commuting to London and kids grade eight in five musical instruments by age 10, you know, uh, we live in this sort of culture where when you say to someone, you must be terribly busy, it's a sort of compliment. And to say, oh, I'm so stressed out, is sort of a cool thing to be. Why? Explain. Not all activity is healthy. Not all new life is good. Sometimes God reduces our activity to maximize our impact. I read a wonderful quote yesterday. It said this, don't just do something. Stand there. <laughs> the gardener prunes us. He cuts off some of the life in order that we might be fruitful. And finally, it's about roots and it's about shoots and it's about fruits. It's about producing as we root ourselves in Christ and allow our shoots to be pruned, we find that he is radically committed to our fruitfulness. In fact, we read later that it's the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. God wants you to be effective. He wants you to be productive. He wants you to be successful. He has a plan for your life. Now, of course, success is relative. Uh, last night, Banksy tweeted this, you know, the graffiti artist. Success is not always what you see. 
And uh, as you can see, there's one rabbit with a very small little uh, bit of carrot foliage, but an enormous carrot under the ground. The other's got a lot of foliage and a very tiny carrot under the ground. I was startled about a month ago to see this next image. I don't know if you can make this out, but this is in Australia, of course, and it's a picture of a man sitting on a dead whale. A whale expert has slammed an Australian man, Harrison Williams, as daft for sitting on a whale carcass as it was being circled by massive sharks. Photographed sitting shirtless on the dead whale, Williams said he had been hoping to get more likes on Instagram. <laughs> Some people have got a really strange view of success. I love that quote from Thorin Oakenshield, the warrior king of the dwarves, speaking to Bilbo Baggins in the Hobbit movie, um, which I saw over the holidays. And right at the end, he says to Bilbo, go back to your armchair, Master Baggins, and your books. Plant your tree. If everybody valued home like you did, the world would be a merry place. For Thorin, success is about capturing the mountain and being victorious. And for Bilbo, it is about building a happy home. What is success? I think success, as we draw this together now, there are three types of fruit, three types of success I believe God has for us as we root ourselves in him and allow him to prune us. There is fruits of the Spirit, of course, as we root ourselves in Jesus, that we become more like Jesus in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That we get to the end of this year more like Jesus. Not just having ticked off achievements, but transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And then there, secondly, is the fruits of the kingdom. The fruits of blessing the Gentiles. Remember, that's what made Jesus the true vine. There is the fruits of salvation, the fruits of, of, of making an eternal difference in our world, leading someone to Jesus this year, helping someone get closer to Jesus, helping an atheist become an agnostic, <laughs> helping someone who's a new Christian to grow in their faith, Praying for someone who's sick and then being healed. Binding up a broken heart. Speaking out for someone who is voiceless. These things are kingdom fruits. They matter far more than, frankly, a promotion at work and an extra zero on your paycheck. If that is your primary or your only definition of success, then you are going to get chopped off and thrown into the fire because you're not being truly fruitful. I'm sorry that's a hard thing to say, but sometimes you read the Bible and you think, gosh, Jesus, you were pretty hard-hitting. There's a sobriety to this. But then thirdly and finally, there's fruits of the Spirit and there's the fruits of the kingdom. And there is, I believe, fruits of our labor there is success that we can understand in a more worldly way. 
We think of how Daniel was promoted and how Joseph was promoted and King David and Solomon. One of the challenges we've got is that we, we, we react against any notion of worldly success uh, partly because uh, those heretics, the preachers of the prosperity gospel, have so abused the message of Scripture that we are now terrified of any talk of God blessing us materially with health and wealth and so on. But the truth is that most heresies are true. They're just incomplete. They take something that's true from Scripture, but they just don't tell you the whole story. One of the problems with the prosperity guys is they don't tell you that half of it's after death. <laughs> it doesn't suit them to tell you that bit. And if you cash it all in before death, then you're probably going to be you know, driving a 2CV or a smart car in heaven, you know. But we mustn't so react against the abuse of that message that we fail to understand that the Bible is consistently clear that God wants to bless us materially and practically as well as spiritually. If you have a heart for the poor, you'd better jolly well have something to give them other than platitudes, which means someone's got to make some money. <laughs> Ambition can be a good thing. It doesn't have to be a selfish ambition. Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. I've been fascinated by that story of David and Goliath because, listen to this. Now, as the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man, that's Goliath, keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king, listen to this, will give great wealth to the man who kills Goliath. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. Who thinks that sounds quite good? Did you have your hands up about taxes or the daughter? I don't know. David then asked the men standing near him, listen, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Run it past me again. What's the incentive scheme? David's first question before he slew Goliath was, what's in it for me? <laughs> and God doesn't judge him or smite him. He sort of blesses it. While others have been going around saying, what will be done to me if I lose? David comes with an attitude that says, what am I going to get if I win? There's an ambition, a confidence about it. At the root of ambition, there can be hope. What is it that sets David apart? Well, it is partly that ambition. He wants stuff. He wants power. He wants profile. He wants profit. We shouldn't be afraid of incentives. We sometimes need them because we are human. I know that what I'm saying is making one or two of you deeply uncomfortable. And so let me finish with my greatest possible analogy of success. You see, Sammy and I, Bill, one or two others, have a friend called Keith, who went to be with Jesus just before Christmas. And we attended his Thanksgiving service. I think it was the 18th or 19th of December. The church was packed. And um, here he is, that's Keith with his wife, Philippa. And 
I can't tell you how moving it was. They've had enormous challenges, enormous trials in their lives. And not least this last year of fighting an illness and eventually losing that battle, but winning in Jesus. And, and they have five children, and I've never, ever in all my life seen a couple demonstrate how to go on the ultimate journey with such faith and even such trust and joy. Lying in the hospice, Philippa, stroking Keith's hair, just saying, I'm so lucky to have had him. I love him so much. And at the, the Thanksgiving service, all five of the children stood up and testified about their dad. One of the boys said, I can't remember my mum and dad ever arguing. Uh, another of them sang a song she had written about her dad. Another of them remembered how often after church on a Sunday he would go home and then after lunch he would go into his study and get his Bible open. He would just pray for people around the world whilst they'd play games and watch TV. Keith loved the Bible. Even when he was starting to get a bit muddled towards the end if you went to visit him. If you got the Bible open and read it to him, it was so deeply embedded within him that this joy and this smile would just come on his face. The Bible was kind of tattooed on the insides of his mind and his heart. Keith was, I think, one of the most successful men I have ever known. Not famous. Not, you know particularly wealthy, but profoundly successful, profoundly fruitful in his family, in his marriage, in his living, and even in his dying. And I left his Thanksgiving service clearer than ever before in my life, I think, that the most important thing in life is not what you do, but how you do it. That the greatest fruit is to be something rather than just to achieve something. I left his Thanksgiving service wanting to be more like Jesus, the true vine. And so as we come now to the vine, let's recommit our lives to Christ. Let's recommit our lives to be planted in Jesus in 2015, to be rooted in him. Let's recommit ourselves to be pruned by Jesus, even if that's going to be painful this year. I don't say that lightly, but it cost him everything. And let's recommit ourselves to be productive and fruitful this year for Jesus' glory, remembering that we are the only communion table that many of our friends will ever approach. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can be rooted in you and your love. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you prune our lives even when that's painful. And we thank you that you 
are planning, scheming for each one of us to be fruitful, massively fruitful for your glory. Amen.